Good morning. This is Money Talk. Uh, it's now 19 minutes to nine. In your money today, Carolyn Wright investigates the crypto industry's efforts to rebuild trust after difficult times for the sector. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. Last year, it was pretty challenging for the crypto space. Fall of FTX was just one example of the troubles the sector faced. So today, we're going to take a deep dive into what the industry is doing to win investors back. I'm joined by Anna Blizzard, who's a senior leader in FDI Consulting Southeast Asia Financial Crime Compliance Practice. Thanks for joining me, Anna. Good to be here. The focus very much now is on rebuilding trust. And for many, that means greater transparency and compliance. So let's kick off with what the cryptos themselves are doing to build trust with investors. Certainly very challenging. Crypto collapses, also a lot of challenges in the world around kind of illicit crypto transactions. So certainly a lot of opportunity there to build trust. And I think similarly to financial institutions, you know, cryptos are looking at consumer protection and they're looking at trust. It's essential for them to build that. And over the last year or two, we've definitely seen a lot of cryptos prioritizing their compliance programs. So really focusing on having that strong regulatory compliance and governance, but also really having to look at their security and their cybersecurity, making sure that there's a real cleanup there and that they've got good cyber hygiene in place. And with those stronger compliance programs, that's really going to help to build trust uh, with those consumers. The other thing we're seeing is really kind of greater emphasis on audits and data reporting. So we're seeing institutions reaching out to us around looking at their program, understanding what regulations there are and how they can strengthen that. And I think the other kind of point around building trust that we're seeing is really cryptos helping to educate their customers, helping to explain some of that jargon. There's a huge amount of jargon out there when it comes to crypto. So um, the more that they are helping to guide those consumers, I think that will also go a long way when it comes to building trust. So you're talking there about some of the best practices effectively for crypto compliance. What are the best practices? With all the opportunities and benefits of crypto out there, there have come a lot of new and emerging risks. So when it comes to some of those best practices, we're really seeing things around comprehensive risk assessments. So that's not just assessing the risk of a client, say, onboarding, but it's also looking at the risk ongoing throughout the relationship. Um, you know, FATF have principles for financial institutions, and they also extend to cryptos. So looking at things like their um, compliance measures, Having rigorous onboarding, proper KYC, proper verification of the identities, and really strong transaction monitoring as well is a really um, good practice out there. So making sure you've got the correct systems that can trace the uh, crypto. One of the other things is really looking around transaction monitoring systems and the typologies that you use. So there are a lot of similarities between the traditional money laundering typologies and typologies that are applicable in the crypto world. But some of the risk is exacerbated by uh, blockchain technology, you know, due to issues around anonymity or the speed of transactions. So really making sure that you've tailored those typologies to the crypto world. So you understand the issues, you know, layering is a particular issue uh, with cryptos. 
So there's a lot of blending, mixing of different currencies to try and make it harder to understand the flows. Also kind of exchanging crypto for fiat back and forward, that makes it more difficult. Also, sometimes we see um, typology where there are lots of small crypto transactions going along the chain. And again, that's in an effort to make it more difficult to trace. So if you understand some of those nuances and you've built that into your transaction system, that's another kind of strong practice that we've seen. Another thing is really building out compliance teams with the right skill set. This is something that a lot of cryptos have struggled with historically. It's relatively new. It requires a certain skill set to understand the crypto risk. Um, but you also need to understand the more traditional anti-money laundering regulations. So really getting that person or people that can provide you with both the AML specialism, but also the crypto specialism as well. So it sounds like there are bits of gaps here and there in compliance programmes. Is there anything else that needs to be done to close those gaps? One of the challenges that we're really seeing, and it's not just cryptos, it's, you know, techs, startups, etc., is you know, they've got pretty small teams and they're pretty stretched at times. So obviously making sure that you've got adequately staffed teams in place. And if you haven't, that you can go and get that outside support that you need in order to um, build that team and in order to supplement your skills. I think the other issues and, and things around cyber attacks, so making sure that you've got that strong security in place, uh, cyber risk assessments and um, stress testing as well. Um, I think I read last year it was the second consecutive all-time um, high when it came to illicit crypto transactions, so $20.6 billion dollars of illicit crypto transactions last year. So there's clearly still a lot to be done when it comes to cybersecurity. One of the things that I see a lot as well in my role is just having policies and procedures that are on paper that are more of a copy and paste. They haven't been necessarily tailored to the particular organization or you've got the policy and the procedure on a piece of paper, but you're not actually implementing that properly. So, you know, really making sure that what you've got on documents is also what you're actually doing in practice. That brings us around to the very much a need for transparency, because whatever data it is that you are giving out to your customers needs to be transparent. It needs to be clear where that data has come from and what it relates to. Is there more work to be done in transparency in crypto? Short answer, yes. I mean, in theory, blockchain is highly transparent. You know, all the transactions are recorded, they're displayed on a digital ledger, and all the participants ultimately have access to the same information. However, in reality, it's not really that simple. So again, a simple example, on the one hand, you can trace transactions through the ledger. However, you don't necessarily know who is behind those transactions, just wallet addresses. And I think some of the more recent challenges that we've seen have highlighted some of the real challenges between a mix of having transparent data on the one side and non-transparent on the other. So you've got information around the transactions themselves and the trades and the money. However, you don't have any visibility over the balance sheets of some of these um, cryptos. So you don't know, for example, how much of the assets have been pledged or spoken for by other parties. 
So liabilities is one example uh, of information that you don't know. Um, so having proof of reserves is a good start when it comes to improving overall transparency. Just kind of on that point, though, I think the more transparency there is, inevitably that will put more emphasis on investors understanding what they're looking at. And so whilst the data may become you know, fully transparent, it still remains not necessarily legible or otherwise understandable when it comes to the average consumer. That's a very important point you brought up there, investors understanding what they're getting into. The other side of things from the businesses themselves looking after compliance is how regulators are working. So how are regulators in Singapore and Hong Kong moving to protect customers and how are their approaches differing? Essentially, if we take Singapore and Hong Kong, they're both financial hubs. And therefore, you know, as the world is transitioning from traditional into digital assets, they're both really looking at cryptocurrency and the approach that they want to take. When it comes to Singapore, Singapore's where I'm based, then, for example, they've limited the advertising of cryptocurrency to institutional investors. And they've also proposed um, a number of tightenings to regulations for retail investors. MAS, so the Monetary Authority of Singapore, have proposed barring retail investors from borrowing to invest in crypto and also requiring crypto exchanges to check that would-be buyers understand the risks. Now, um, at the end of last year, Ravi Menon, who's the director at MAS, said that whilst um, they do want Singapore to be a crypto hub, if it's about tokenizing real and financial assets to increase efficiency and reduce risks in financial transactions, that's fine. However, they don't want Singapore to be a crypto hub if it's about trading and speculating in crypto. So I think at least in Singapore, um, the kind of current view is that crypto is not for the retail investor and Singapore is still taking quite a cautious approach uh, and really kind of more focusing on the technology behind crypto rather than crypto itself. In Hong Kong, I think the approach is slightly different. So Hong Kong have announced that centralized virtual asset trading platforms carrying out business or actively marketing to Hong Kong investors will need to be licensed by the Securities and Futures Commission. In February of this year, there was a public consultation on proposed regulatory requirements for virtual asset trading platforms, which was issued. So Hong Kong are considering allowing all investors, which includes retail investors, in order to trade crypto, but via the licensed virtual asset trading platforms. And they're proposing some investor protection measures when they do that, so that includes assessment of client risk tolerance and their risk profile at onboarding, setting limits of clients' exposure to virtual assets, and also measures around governance and due diligence that virtual asset providers need to um, do, especially when it comes to which tokens they're going to allow. So I guess in summary, your regulations are constantly evolving, and it's a case of kind of watch this space when it comes to Singapore and Hong Kong all right. Watch this space indeed. Thank you so much for joining me and explaining all of that today. That's Anna Blizzard, who is a senior leader in FTI Consulting's Southeast Asia Financial Crime Compliance Practice.